I was at teen camp a couple of weeks ago, as most of you know. And um, let me start this off. Let me back up a little bit. I don't normally listen to um, K-Love or KJNP on the radio. Um, I normally either listen to Pandora for streaming music or I listen to NPR on the radio. That's just that's what I normally do for my listening. And so there are many times when I go to a teen event at the district level where there is no, um, there are songs that I just don't know, I've never heard before. And they're very popular and everybody else is singing the lyrics and jumping up and down and they know everything and I have a clue. Well, I intentionally chose this song this morning. Actually, I didn't choose it. God chose it because God has had it on my heart for the last two weeks. I heard this song at camp. I had never heard it before that I remember. And it has just gripped me and I couldn't get away from it. And as I was praying and asking the Lord, what should I preach this morning? This song kept coming to my mind. And I'm like, no, 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 God, I want to preach. What, what is this sermon that you want me to preach? Oh, the overwhelming... No, no, God, you don't understand. What do you want me to preach about? Reckless love of... No, no, God, you don't understand. What scripture do you want me to preach? Oh, if I... Okay, fine. Okay, fine. I won't read the scriptures. I'll just focus on this song. And I literally did that. I listened to the song on YouTube. I actually found a YouTube video that was the, the, the person who wrote the song, sings it, and then in the, after singing it, he's in a worship service, and he then begins preaching, telling the story of this song and where it came from. And then I began reading articles online about this song and how it's been so controversial for some. And I've been reading that, and I, this is what was so crazy for me, was this song that we sang this morning in our worship service um, this song was the number one song in 2018 for the Dove Music Awards. It was the number one Christian song. It also was nominated for Grammy Award. It was also nominated for the Billboard blah, blah, blah. So this song is huge. And I had never heard it before. And it's been out for over a year. But, or almost a full year, and I've never heard it before that I could remember, but it gripped me, and I love singing it, and I, I want to memorize the words because it's so fun. And I intentionally looked around this morning while the video was playing, and I saw that only about half of you have ever heard this song before, and about half of you, this was brand new. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Because one of the things, for those of you who have heard this song before, and it, we're talking, of course, of Reckless Love. It was done by Corey Asbury, uh, Caleb Culver, and Rand Jackson are the ones that actually wrote it. But I believe it was Corey Asbury was the one that was playing the video. And how many of you who have heard this song and have listened to it regularly, how many of you have ever thought about what the words are saying? Okay, Evelyn, I'm going to pick on you. You were the very first one to have your hands up. What is this song talking about? It doesn't matter as long as he loves you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He will kick down everything, even if even if it's the deepest lie that you believe about yourself. I'm worth nothing. Nobody has ever loved me. Nobody has ever touched me. Nobody has ever done anything for me or 
They've only done it to me. It, uh, he will kick those walls down and tell you how much you are worth and who you are in him and who he believes you to be. And it doesn't it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Amen. Somebody over here had their arm up. Uh, Jesse, where were you? When I hear it, I just think about the, about the love that God has for us. He will do anything to be with us. You know, he left heaven. He left the 99. He left what, in our minds, we would see as more important because a single sheep we think is nothing compared to the 99. You're risking the whole 99 and going after one. Mm-hmm. Yet that's how valuable. You know, there's the, the expression that uh, if we were the only person that ever sinned, Jesus that's a powerful statement if you were the only person who had ever sinned Jesus would still go to the cross just for you someone else who has loved this song go ahead I'll give you your five dollars after the sermon. <laughs> That's a couple points down in my sermon notes. Um, I told you this song is big in Western culture. It was the biggest song in Christian world last year. It resonates with people. You heard, you saw the depth of emotion when trying to describe how the words of this song have resonated in the heart of the people who have listened to, who own it, who love it, who have raised it up to be the number one song. But there, if you go online and read about it, there is controversy over this song. And it is over that word reckless. How many of you remember a song a number of years ago that was very, very popular, and it said there was a, a lyric that said, where heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. Anybody remember that song? I don't have it in my notes, so unfortunately I can't give you the title. But that was a song that a young that a young youth pastor sang at his church service leading worship and got fired over. Because we don't talk about sloppy wet kisses in our church. But that's that the challenge. There's a song. How many of you heard it? In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. Da, 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 da. There's a there's a, a part in there that has caused great controversy. There are some churches that have changed the lyric in order to be able to still sing it in their in their sanctuaries, and there are others who have banned that song from use in their worship services. And this song, Reckless Love, the one that's been resonating with me all the last two weeks. The one that has just spoken to me in vibes, one that raises up great emotion within me. As I was thinking about this and praying about it, I was thinking, Lord, before I introduce this to my congregation, I need to make sure that this is theologically sound. Why? Because of that very word reckless. See, one of the things that, that, that you never have to think about, one of the things you never have to worry about is the spiritual formation of other people. See, unless you're a parent, 
Or unless maybe God has gifted you with that ability, you don't ever worry about anybody else's spiritual walk but your own. Okay? You read through yourself, you, you pray, you read the Bible, you go to fellowships, you, you, you worship, sometimes individually, sometimes corporately, but it's always about your walk with God and your intentionality about your relationship with God. But as a pastor, I have a responsibility not only for myself, but for the flock, if you will. I am an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. It is my job not only to make sure that the bills are paid properly, not only to make sure that, that we have a good time in our worship services and that people are hearing the word of God, but I have to make sure that what is proclaimed in this space as we gather for corporate worship is indeed theologically sound, orthodox, a right according to what the scriptures say. And sometimes, and, and, and our, our youth, uh, youth children, our youth children, our youth and the teacher last year, we went through this. She gave, the, the, the youth and, the, and their teacher gave me a list of songs that they wanted us to sing here in the service. And I had to go through them, lyric by lyric by lyric, and then I went back and I, 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 I helped them to understand why these songs were good and these songs weren't good. Because it's important that you evaluate what you're listening to and what you're singing, not just because it makes you feel good, not just because it has a snappy beat or some really cool lyrics, but is it theologically sound? Is you Are you really saying what it needs to say? It doesn't jive with what we read in the scriptures. And so as a pastor, it's my job to make sure that what comes into this space is appropriate and right. And this word reckless is part of the concern. Not that I have a problem with the song. But what what Natalie said was the word reckless has a definition that there's a thoughtlessness or a carelessness about the person doing the action. Well, that means you're ascribing to God that God is thoughtless and careless when God reaches out to woo and draw us. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But I do, I, I want to look at this theologically. I want to, I want to reason this out with you guys. That's why I passed out the lyrics. I want you to get a little bit of the taste of what I have to go through every time somebody says, Pastor, can we sing this song in the church service? Because it's been a long time since we've heard this song. And, and I'm like, ah. okay, yes, I will. I'll review it. So let's go through this. Verse 1. You've got the form in front, the paper in front of you. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been good, been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. And I'm, I already thought this through, so I have an answer. But I want to hear from you guys, just off the top of your head, your own walk, where you're at with God right now. Is this verse theologically sound? I'm sorry? Why? Okay, what is... Let's look at it real quick. Isaiah 49. Let's look at it real quick. Isaiah 49 has 24 verses, so it's a little bit long, but... Okay, 
So there you go. Before I even spoke a word, before I took a breath, God had me in mind. There are other passages. We don't have time to go through every single one of them. But I would, I would agree with you that this is theologically sound at this point. Now, I looked at this idea of before I took a breath, God breathed his life in me. And I was like, hmm, what do I think and what do I understand about that? And I don't want to get nitpicky with this, so we're not going to go too deep into that. But think about this. If, if your theology is that you do not become spiritually alive until the Holy Spirit of God enters you because of your profession of faith and your confession of your sin and your repenting of your sin... How can the breath of life come into me before I breathe my first breath? And that goes to me to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Colossians. But Ephesians chapter 1. It says, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will, the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. And it goes on and talks. But that, that, that thought right there from Paul, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And so in my mind, what I'm hearing this say is that, that the, when the author of this song says, you breathed your life in me even before I took a breath, it was this idea that God already had me in mind. God had already ordained, foreordained, that I was going to be a child of God's. That God wanted me to be in relationship. Even before I took my first breath, while I was being knitted in the womb, God already had a plan of wooing and drawing me. Because see, one of the things that we understand as Wesleyan Arminian Christians is that there's this theological term called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace literally means you can't come to God unless God draws you. It's not you. It's God that does the wooing. You never in and of yourself will ever say, you know what, today I think I'm going to start serving God. That's not in you. But as God starts saying, I desire you, will you join me? I I would like relationship with you. Will Will you come to me? I can go back in my own life. I don't have time this morning. I can go back in my own life and point to specific times where I can I can tell you without question down to the to the to the to the second when God was drawing me, wooing me, calling me towards God's self. It's called prevenient grace. And again, that's what verse 1 here is talking about. The idea that even before the foundation of the world, before I took a breath, before I was ever formed, God was already planning and drawing and wanting and desiring me to be in relationship with God. He has been so, so good to me. He has been so, so kind to me. Because if he knew 
what I was going to end up like in my own selfishness and carnal nature and desires to do my own thing. And if he, if he knew all the horror and pain I would be causing other humans because of my own selfishness, why would he desire me? I don't know. But it goes back to what our, our sister Evelyn was saying earlier. It doesn't matter what it is. God loves us individually enough that God desires relationship over and above any sin that you've committed. It doesn't matter what you've done. His love is that much greater. And God woos and draws. God is continually wooing and drawing throughout your life. Now, let's move on to the course. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending... Well, let's actually leave that one. Let's go to verse 2. Because I don't want to get into the reckless thing yet. Verse 2. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Two thoughts there. When I was in rebellion against God, God's love still drew me, still desired, still fought for me. Is that theologically correct? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Is that theologically correct? Is that jive with what scripture says? Hmm? Say that loudly. Luke chapter 15, the, the story of the prodigal son. God... Will, willingly, openly, welcoming back the one who has been in open rebellion against the Father with open arms and throwing a party at the event. So it's not just a quiet, surreptitious, yeah, you, you were bad, but come on back and you can get into the family again. No, it's this huge thing. He's back! My son that was dead is alive again! And it literally says... All of heaven. Luke chapter 15. Read it over and over again. Three different times Jesus tells parables about something being lost, being found. And three different times he says, All the angels in heaven rejoice over that one that has come back. Why was he telling that story? If you go back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, the reason Jesus was telling those stories, those three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the, par- the, pro- the lost son, the prodigal son, was because the religious leaders in Jesus' time were poo-pooing the fact that Jesus was gathering tax collectors and sinners in his presence. And Jesus was like, you guys don't get it. You don't get it. God wants these people. God desires these people. You're already saying you love and serve God. They're not, and that's why I'm going to them. Yes, ma'am. The first one you mean? Um, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll I'll look it up and get it to you. Romans 5.8. Thank you. Romans 5.8. So verse 1 and verse 2 are indeed um, are indeed theologically sound. Let's look at the chorus. And the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, it chases me down fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Well, obviously that's talking about 
Um, Luke 15, the, 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 the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We have been saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves, not any work that we could do so that we can't boast. I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it, but still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. The bridge. There's no shadow you won't light up. Think about that. There's no dark place that we can hide from God. Now that's out of the Psalms. That's straight out of the Psalms. There's no mountain God won't climb up coming after me. I love the words, but is it, is, it, is it theologically sound? Elsie just pointed to the cross. There is no struggle that God won't endure because of the value that he has in us, including climbing up onto the cross. Beverly? Calvary. The mountain of Calvary. Okay. There's no wall you won't kick down. No barrier. The veil. What a powerful image. At the time of Christ's death, it is finished and this gives up his spirit and the earth trembles and the veil of the temple was torn in two. The barrier between the, the access to the Almighty has been removed. And now we have the opportunity to enter into right relationship. And through right relationship, of course, but we have the access to the Most High because of the sacrifice of Christ. That's, there is no wall you won't kick down. The stone in death won't be a barrier. There's no lie you won't tear down. Think about that. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think I think the, the, the idea for me, and I, and I don't want because this is getting recorded. I don't want to say words, names. But there's a there's a, a man in our service in in our church who's dealing with lies that are being spoken about that person right now. Yes, there is some event that did happen. Yes, it's a horrible, horrible event. But as I have counseled with this man, the words he has said to me are, Pastor, you're not hearing the full story. Pastor, what's out in the news and what's in the news on on the television and on the radio is not everything that happened. And there are some things that are being distorted. And I don't know what to do about it other than just continue to pray. And that word right there for me. And I, I, I can't point to a specific scripture where I can say, well, this is scripturally sound. But I believe that with all of my heart that God, God, in my own life, I can share with you story after story how God raised me up after someone tried to tear me down. Mm-hmm. Where I didn't have to fight that battle, but God did it for me. Amen. Now, again, I can't point to a specific scripture, but I know that it's true in my own life. Yes, ma'am. Yes. The first thing that came to my mind is when it finished, I 
There you go. And the word of God trumped every lie that that the enemy has tried. And that for me was what the enemy speaks into into my mind. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me except to the Father. So I see the life getting to heaven through someone who means other than Christ by words, except for being a good person. You know, nobody wants to tear down. Ah, okay. So when someone is being trapped in the lie of some false teaching, God will break through and draw them through that into the truth. Okay, powerful thought, powerful thought. So, verse 1, verse 2, and the bridge are all theologically sound. Now we just look at this chorus with that really nasty word. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It is overwhelming, definitely, the love of God. It knocks me on my tail end sometimes, just just pondering it, just almost literally being slain in the spirit almost with the overwhelmingness of God's presence and his love. Never ending. We already talked about this morning. The word of God clearly says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But is it reckless? Is it careless? But from God's vantage point, He's already got taken care of. So I mean, it's a little out of the context of where He's coming from with the song, where He's He's got you know a scriptural fact, and then He's got where He's coming from scriptural fact, where He's coming from, you know, um, through so many of these verses. And uh, I'm just saying, from our from our vantage point, leaving 99 is reckless just for the one. I'm risking losing more than that by going after the one. You know, I, it's it's reckless. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, that's just kind of what I see. I see his, his vantage point as opposed to the scriptural vantage point. Okay. The world's view. Right. The world would say that, you know, why would he die from it? It's something that you weren't like if, if you still have Ephesians, if you still have Ephesians chapter one open, look at verse seven and eight. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding. I'm reading from the New International Version. And then if you look at 1 John chapter 4, I believe it is. Again, I don't have... Maybe it's 1. 1 John chapter 1. But it talks again about God lavishing his love on us. I don't have the, 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 the reference written down. I thought I did, but I don't. But First John talks about the same idea of God lavishing his love on us. Ephesians talks about God lavishing his grace on us. Well, what is lavishing? It is wastefully pouring out, wastefully sp- splashing. When a little dab will do it, God just drenches. And from our perspective... That's wasteful. That's lavishing. There's no reason for all of that. A little bit would be more than 
sufficient. And God's like, you don't understand. I got plenty. And that's what I see here in this idea of reckless, the reckless love of God is that it's, it's, it's not being wastefully spent because God's got an abundant supply that will never end. And it's God's choice to pour out His love on anyone He chooses to, in the amount that He chooses to. So whether we perceive it as appropriate, right, or proper, it doesn't make any difference because it's God's love to give out. Amen. He will get your attention at any cost. Yes, sir. If your dad says it's okay, you can. song before. Thank you for sharing that. Very good. Praise the Lord. First John chapter 3. Thank you. depth and the width and the love, I mean, uh, the length of the love of God. parable of the lost son. Okay? If you look in the lost sheep, the shepherd goes out, knocks down everything and finds that sheep and carries it back. If you look at the lost coin, that woman lights a lamp and she gets a broom and she sweeps every nook and cranny of that floor looking for those tiny little coins. But if you look at the story of the prodigal son, you see something different. And I, I meditated on that for a while. Because the father doesn't leave the porch. The father stays at the house waiting for the return. And what I see in that, the sheep do not have volition, don't have will. 
A coin doesn't have a will, but a human being has a will. And you see, we started out talking about prevenient grace. Well, prevenient grace says God, no one will come to the Father unless God draws them. But God does not force you to have relationship with God. God says, I desire you. I welcome you, warts and all. It makes no difference to me what you've done. There is nothing you could ever do which would negate my love for you. Will you come to me? But God plants God's feet firmly down and stands and waits for the response. And that's significant, I think. Because God wants love, God desires love, but if it is not freely given to God, it's not really love. If you're coerced to love God, it's not really love. I can remember saying that as a young adult. If I have to ask for the love, I don't want it. If I have to beg for it, I don't want it. I want you to just say you love me out of your own heart. And I I, I sense that that's a reality that, that God, in this story with the prodigal son... He's there willing, and any moment that that son is willing to come back, he's ready to welcome him back into relationship, regardless of how much pain he caused him, regardless of how fierce the rejection was. He says, I still am here to welcome you back. I will always welcome you back. But he didn't go to the pigsty. The son had to leave the pigsty. The son had to choose to turn from their sin and to... Repent, which means 180 degree turning from what you are currently involved in. And say, I ask for you to forgive me. I receive your forgiveness. By faith, I enter into this right relationship. And that's one of the key things that I see here too. Even in this song, Reckless Love, there's no shadow he won't light up. God is going to expose all darkness. There is no mountain God will not climb up in coming after me. There's no wall he won't kick down. There's no lie he won't turn down in coming after me. But he is not going to force me into relationship. He's going to woo me. He's going to draw me. But it is still my choice. And that's what I think we should end with right now as we get ready to take our time of communion.